Good morning. Hey, welcome to church. I don't know why the fear, uh, I'm no longer a slave to fear, and then the horns come in? Are you kidding me right now? It's great. Hey, uh, so glad you're with us this morning. Kids, you can be dismissed to Children's Church, and the rest of you, I have a simple question to ask you to begin with, and it is this. What are you afraid of? Go ahead and turn to the people around you and share what you're afraid of. What, what gives you the heebie-jeebies? You have an irrational fear of it. Go ahead, share that with the people around you real quick. Yeah, oh, wow. This is the part of the service where you get to rat out the people next to you. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? Snakes. Snakes is a common one. What else? Chased by a bear, bear fear is real. Sharks, clowns, that is, yeah, the yes. Whoever said that, yes. I have a daughter that's afraid of ketchup. It's true. Anybody else? Fears? I, what? What? Black widows. How many people are afraid of spiders? How many people are afraid of black widows? How many people say, oh, there's a spider, and when you get there, it's this big. You're like, suck it up a little bit. Uh, I just got back from a little vacation. We went to Hawaii. I have never been to Hawaii. We went to the big island of Hawaii. Uh, For me, though, it was quite an experience because you have to fly to Hawaii. My wife hates to fly. She is a nervous wreck when we fly. And then when you fly into Hawaii, how many people know that Hawaii has like a hurricane typhoon season? Do you know this about Hawaii? That apparently that that can approach and destroy everything. Hawaii itself is built on a giant active volcano. Does anybody else know that about it? And then swimming around all of Hawaii is what? Sharks. Nobody puts that stuff on the brochure. Can I tell you right now? It had better be beautiful because there's a lot of things that could go wrong in Hawaii, if you know what I mean. So we had a great time there. But this morning, we're going to talk about fear. There are really only two things that people have an, an irrational kind of normal feel just built into us. The fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. That is built into all of us, right? The rest of our fears, though, are learned fears. And, I, and uh, there was a psychologist or psychiatrist who was uh, Dr. William Sadler who said, the only known cure for fear is faith. That's the only known cure for fear is faith. So I came across some unique fears this week that I thought maybe I would share and see if anybody shares any of these fears. Here's the first one. Ready? The first one is called cheerophobia. It's the fear of being happy. Do we have any Giants fans in here? (laughs) You're just afraid of joy and happiness. I've got you. Is it too soon to take that shot? Okay, sorry. Yeah, cheerophobia is the fear of being happy. How about this one? This is called nomophobia. It is the fear of being without your cell phone. Where's Gen Z? Where's my Gen Zers around here? You know, yeah, how many people have ever had this experience where you go out and you're like, oh my gosh, do I have my, anybody ever have that? And then you're like, immediately you go to this and you go, oh, there it is. I've got it. You know, anybody, anybody have that? It's not having your phone. People panic about it. Not having a charge on your phone. Oh my gosh, my phone's out of charge. It's called nomophobia. It's a real fear. Here we go. This is called tripophobia. It is the fear of clusters or of circles or holes. This is a real fear, and I have it. Does that little picture freak anybody else out? Let me, hold on. Let's go to a bigger picture. How about that? Does anybody else? My skin starts to crawl when I see that thing. Let's go one more. Oh, 
And that, does that make anybody else nervous up there, anyone? Okay, fine, I'll go to counseling by myself. Okay. Um, it is really weird, I think. This one is, I like this one, anatodaphobia. It is the fear that you are being watched by a duck. That is a real phobia. You can Google it. It is a real phobia that somewhere, somehow a duck is watching. You're strolling in the park. Is that duck watching me? Is that duck looking at me? Is he still looking? Is that duck looking at me? That's a real uh, phobia. All right. Ambulophobia is the fear of walking. This is mostly for older people who have a fear of getting up and walking around on uneven surfaces and maybe falling. The Apostle Paul did not have ambulophobia. The Apostle Paul, throughout his missionary journeys, most scholars agree that he would have traveled 10,000 miles by foot. 10,000 miles he walked uh, in, in his uh, missionary journeys. That'd be equal to walking from the West Coast to the East Coast back and forth almost four times. And so we're going to see as we jump back into the book of Acts here this morning, as we're at nearing the end of his third missionary journey, um, we're going to see a few groups of people who were afraid, genuinely afraid. They weren't afraid for themselves. They were afraid for the Apostle Paul. They were afraid for him. And I want us to look not only at that, but also maybe into our own lives and ask the question, what are some things that maybe we live in fear from? And ask the question, how does our faith interact with the fear in our lives and how do I overcome them? So let's jump into the map here. I want you to see this is the third missionary journey. At this point, Paul has been all the way around this area, and he has uh, said goodbye at Ephesus last week, and he is um, trying, he had this really heartfelt goodbye at Ephesus. He told them, the elders at Ephesus, that he would never see them again. It was sort of an outpouring of emotion, and he would never see them again, and he's trying to get to Jerusalem. Paul is trying to get to Jerusalem. He wants to get there by Pentecost because he wants to deliver this financial gift to the church at Jerusalem, which is struggling at this point. There's been a famine in the area. But in addition to that, these people in Jerusalem really believed Jesus was coming right here, right now, and they had sold most of their belongings. So there's a great financial need in Jerusalem. You know what? It's easier if I just show you. I love the Bible Project. Take a look at this, and it'll bring you up to speed. We've been exploring the book of Acts, which was written by a man named Luke as a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Acts began with Jesus telling his followers to spread the good news about his kingdom. And they would start in Jerusalem, then go out into the neighboring regions, and from there to the ends of the earth. Now, in Jerusalem, their message was received by many and opposed by many, especially by the leaders of the temple. They were scandalized by this new claim that the whole story of Israel had been fulfilled by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. One of these leaders was a man named Saul of Tarsus, who worked tirelessly to stop the movement. That is, until he met the risen Jesus himself. And this encounter transformed Saul from an enemy of Jesus into a herald of his kingdom. And so for years, he traveled about the Roman Empire using his Roman name, Paul, starting Jesus communities all over. And one of Paul's greatest desires was that all of these diverse communities would see themselves as one unified people, regardless of their differences, Jew or non-Jew, male or female, slave or free. Jesus was creating one unified family of equals living together under his rule. And this brings us to the final section of Acts. Back in Jerusalem, where the movement began, the Jewish followers of Jesus were suffering from a drought and food shortage. 
And Paul was so passionate about the church's unity that he began a major fundraising project among the diverse churches he had started. They would pool their money together so he and a group of representatives could take it as a relief gift to Jerusalem. But it's not safe for Paul in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders there dislike him so much they want him dead. And Paul knew he was walking into a trap. His friends all begged him not to go, but no one could stop him. And why would Paul risk his life to bring this gift? Couldn't he have sent someone else? Well, for Paul, this was personal. Jerusalem was where he used to participate in the murder of Jesus' followers. And now he gets to serve them. It's also where Jesus himself was executed. And so for Paul, it would be an honor to suffer there alongside his king. So that's the Bible Project. I love the Bible Project. We're going to jump right into the story today. If you would follow along with me, you've got outline notes. We've got uh, scripture up on the screens. If you've got your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 21. But the very first scene we're going to see this morning is the believers were afraid for Paul. The believers were afraid for Paul. Listen as we jump into Acts 21 verse 1. You've got to read along with me because that's how we do it around here. After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders... We sailed straight to the island of Kaz. The next day, we reached Rhodes and then went to Patara. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of where? Tyre. Tyre is the way you say that. In Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went to shore, found who? The local believers and stayed with them for how long? A week. We stayed a week. These believers prophesied through the who? Through the Holy Spirit that Paul should what? Don't go to Jerusalem. Should not go to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we what? No, and what else? And? And said our farewells. And then we went aboard and they returned home. So as this journey continues, Paul ends up in a place called Tyre. For all we know, this may have been the first time that Paul ended up in Tyre. We don't have any record of him going there, any place there. And he jumps off the ship and basically this group of believers welcome him. And they host him for about a week. Um, And a week's not that long. But you can imagine these people who didn't know him probably immediately were to Paul. We've heard of you, Paul. You're, uh, you're the guy that's been starting all these churches. I'm sure it started with a little conversation about where have you been? Where'd you come from? He says, oh, from Ephesus. And they're like, oh, Ephesus. Wow, Ephesus. That's the place with the giant amphitheater and the temple of Artemis, right? Ephesus is lovely this time of year. That, that's, I'm, wow, and that's neat. Where are you headed? And he says, Jerusalem. And they say, are you sure? Jerusalem? Do you want to go to Jerusalem? I mean, Jerusalem could be a problem for you, Paul. You, there is a lot of trouble in Jerusalem. They, they are waiting for you there, Paul. And it, the interesting thing about this is that I want you to underline in your outlines, ready, if you've got it with you or in your Bible, underline or circle, the words, through the Holy Spirit. It's in verse 4 there. Through the Holy Spirit. This group of people who barely knew Paul, And they would only know him for a week, really. They were listening to the Holy Spirit and knew that Paul would be in danger if he went to Jerusalem, right? They didn't didn't tell him, um, don't go to Jerusalem out of their own knowledge. They were literally being prompted by the Spirit, the Scripture says, and the Spirit's instruction. And they were afraid for Paul. They were afraid for his well-being, right? 
In these seven days, they had gotten to know Paul enough that they cared about him. They cared about him personally. And when Paul left, they all came down to the ship together, and they prayed, and they said their goodbyes. But the point is this. Paul left. He got on the ship. Despite these warnings from these people through the Spirit, he got on the boat, didn't listen to their advice or their warnings, and he went anyway. Which begs the question, who's right? Who's right here? The believers who said in the spirit don't go or Paul who ignores their advice and goes anywhere and goes anyway. And so it sort of reminds me and I asked this question in my head, how do you interpret the advice you're given? When you're given advice by somebody, uh, how do you decide if it's godly advice? Uh, when, when someone says, God told me you should do whatever, how do you decide if that's right or wrong? Now, I call this playing the God card. Anybody here play card games? Anybody have overly enthusiastic card games at their house? Right? We play card games at our house, and every once in a while you play a card game with something called a trump card. Everybody know what that is? It's the card that beats all other cards. And so you're in the middle of a card game, and people are playing cards back and forth, and this person, and then that person, and this person, and that person, and this person, and that person. And then somebody throws down a card that they think or know is a winner, and they're like, aha! And in that rare circumstance where you're holding just the right card in your hand, you're like, nah Anybody know what I'm talking about? You people need to have more competitive card games, okay? At our house, that's when people stand up and go, ah, right? That's what happens, okay? That's called the God card. And the reason I call it the God card is because when somebody throws that down, what are you supposed to say, right? What are you supposed to say? Um, It's one thing when somebody says that about their own life. They say, oh, you know, I really feel like the Spirit is telling me to do this. Uh, Well, there's even a problem with that because sometimes people will say, well, the Holy Spirit's telling me to do this, and that ends all discussion. You can't even talk about it anymore with people. You can't, can't go back and forth about it. People say, well, I just, I really feel like, you know, God's really telling me I should leave my wife. Really? Like, that's what you think he's saying to you? That, I can tell you why I don't think that's true. And, 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 but people will say that about all kinds of things. And they're like, and, and you, you're, they've got, they just trumped, they just hit the God card. And you're like, see, God told me. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess I don't have anything to say about that. What's even worse, though, is when somebody says it to you. You know what God told me you should do? And you're like, well, did, why didn't he tell me, right? Why, uh, why, why do you get to tell me what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do, right? And it's even worse, it's really bad when it is motivated by fear. When it's motivated by fear, okay? So I want to give you a few little things along the way here. When we are afraid, good people can give bad advice, When we're afraid, good people can give bad advice. Now, I may be tipping my hand just a little bit here, but I believe this is bad advice. You're going to see why in a little while. Um, But this advice given to Paul in fear, any advice given in fear where fear is the primary motivating factor, many times is not great advice. It's not great advice. Um, and, And people that these people in a week had grown to love Paul. They cared about Paul. They were good people. Uh, And they had some insight from the Holy Spirit. They knew there was trouble waiting for Paul in Jerusalem. They were afraid for Paul. And they were giving him this advice, but Paul boards the ship anyway. And so if anyone is going to get through to Paul, it's going to have to happen through some 
more dramatic means, okay? So let me show you how this works. We're going to see in just a second here. Anybody else have a belt? I need a belt. Anybody got a belt? There you go, Rob. You got a belt? There you go. Right there, right around there. Well, you know, let's, oh, wow. That's all in. Okay. All right. So here's my next, anybody got one more belt? You got a, you got a belt over there? Good. Here's the point I'm going to make. Ready? Go ahead, throw it up on the screen there. All right, you're just going to go between those two belts right there. There we go. Nice. You, you can throw that point up on the screen. There we go. The prophet, a prophet was afraid for Paul. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, people. Let's, um, so I'm going to, you know, it's really hard to read the screen. We're going to read the scriptures together, but I think it's going to be easier if I do that. All right, here we go. Let's read it together. The next stop after leaving where? Tyre was what? Yeah, I just wanted to see if you could say it. Ptolemy, where we were greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for how long? Just one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute the food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. So let's go back to our map here and see. You can see they went from Tyre over to Caesarea. They are almost to Jerusalem. This is like the last stop before they get to Jerusalem. And then they are going to run into a prophet by the name of Agabus. Take a look at what happens with Agabus. Here we go. Several days later, a man named, what's his name? Agabus, who was also had the gift of what? Prophecy. Arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands with it. And then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. For anybody that wants to give me trouble about my over-the-top props or illustrations, I give you the prophet Agabus. Okay? Agabus. And I love it because Agabus, first of all, Agabus is not unknown to Paul. About 15 years earlier, Agabus, in Acts chapter 11, Agabus predicted a famine. And in fact, Paul and Barnabas actually worked with Agabus to work for the relief of that famine. So Agabus was a prophet. He was known by Paul. And he already had a track record of being right on when it came to inspiration and the scriptures. And he stands up and he says, and he's, well, you guys really got this tight first service. It was a lot easier. Oh, okay. He says, hey, buddy, this is what's happening. This is what's going to happen to you. You get it? And then, okay, there we go. All right. I'm going to get out of this so I can keep preaching. Here we go. That's for you, and that's for you. And I'm going to, on faith, operate without a belt the rest of the time. So I want you to see... That this is how it works, right? And so underline in your outlines that same passage, those those same words. The Holy Spirit declares. Agabus says the Holy Spirit declares in verse 11. Underline, circle, or highlight that in in your outlines there. The Holy Spirit declares. How did Agabus get this prediction? He got it from the Holy Spirit. He got it through the Holy Spirit. And Agabus is afraid for Paul. 
He knew what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He wasn't afraid of the unknown. He wasn't like, I wonder what's going to happen, Paul. He was like, I know what's going to happen, and it's going to be, you're going to be bound and put into chains. Once again, so I want you to see, this is sort of a side note, but I want you to get it. When afraid, even spiritual leaders can give bad advice. When afraid, even spiritual leaders can give bad advice. Spiritual leaders are not immune to fear. Do you know that? Spiritual leaders, you ask a pastor and the budget is bad, they start to operate in fear. There's lots of places where spiritual leaders operate in fear and they sometimes give bad advice. You don't just take a spiritual leader's piece of advice as holy or gospel. It has to be tested. You test advice that you get from a spiritual leader, right? You test it against the scriptures. You test it with other known mentors and and people in your life, peers who are in faith and in community with you in church. That's why community groups are so important, is that you could test these things together. And then you test it against the Holy Spirit that lives in you. The Holy Spirit that lives in you will give you the answers to these things. And so you test it for there. And so this group of believers in Tyre were afraid for Paul. Paul's old buddy, old prophet buddy, Agabus, is afraid for him and trying to warn him not to go to Jerusalem. So we see next that Paul's own friends were afraid for him. Paul's own friends were afraid for him. And in Acts 21, verse 12, we see this. When who? When we heard this, who? We and the... Local believers all begged Paul what? Don't go. Don't go, Paul. Underline in your outlines the word we. Highlight the words we. When we heard this and we and the local believers. Who is we? Well, at this point, we is a whole group of people. Paul's been traveling since the very beginning with a guy by the name of Silas and Timothy. And they've been buds all throughout this trip. Right? But guys joined up along the way. A guy by the name of Sopater in Berea. Aristarchus and Segundus joined up with them in Thessalonica. A guy by the name of Gaius joined up with them from Derby. And then there was a, a couple of guys, Tychius and Trophimus, Trophimus, joined up with them. And even Luke, the guy who wrote the book of Acts, Luke, is part of the we. When he starts writing we, it's because he's a part of the we. Does that make sense? And so you've got this whole group of people. Paul's got a crew. Paul's got a posse. He's got, Paul is like a rapper with an entourage, okay? They are all like traveling along with him, and and so he's rolling deep with these guys. And by now, his own crew is starting to get rattled by this stuff. Man, uh, wait, are we all going to Jerusalem? Are we all? Because we sort of know, and I don't know if you've been paying attention, Paul, but these people said you shouldn't go, and Agabus had the belt thing, and he said you shouldn't go, and we're starting to think maybe we shouldn't go. Like, we're hearing all this stuff through the Spirit. Maybe we're not supposed to go, and they are genuinely afraid for Paul's life. They're genuinely afraid for their friend's life. Have you ever been, have you ever been afraid for someone else? Like, have you ever felt that fear for someone else? Let me give you an example. Have you ever watched someone working on a ladder and by the time they get up here, you're like, 
Anybody ever look at somebody and go, I don't know if you should be up that high. And then they want to step on the top rung. I just wanted to see your reaction. But you're like, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Maybe, maybe that's a little too dangerous. But you're afraid for them. You're like absolutely afraid for what could happen to them. That's what's going on with Paul's buddies. They're afraid for him. But has that ever been true for you? Where somebody said to you, hey, don't take that job. Don't take that job. This is not the time for that job. You ever had somebody say to you, like, don't start your own business. You don't want to start your own business now. Now is not the time. Look at the economy. You don't want to start your own business. Man, I, don't homeschool your kids. You have any idea how hard it is to homeschool your kids? Like, I don't know if you should be doing that. Don't take on foster kids. Those foster kids come with a lot of baggage. And You ever had somebody that's genuinely afraid for you, and they're trying to talk you out of something that maybe you should be doing? Oh, for the love of God, don't go on the mission field. Don't go out there. Don't, don't think about going to Guatemala. That is a third world country. There is crime. There is dirty water. There is illness and disease. And, and people that care for you, but they're afraid for you. Man, don't go into the ministry. I can tell you that. Don't go into the ministry. They mean well, but they're all motivated by fear. That's what they're motivated by. And we're going to see, by the way, Agabus would have totally done the latter illustration too, can I just tell you? Um, Paul's closest friends were genuinely motivated by fear for him. And they were afraid he would be put in prison or maybe even killed. And so I want you to see this point here. Sometimes bad advice is based on good intentions, but it's still bad advice. Sometimes bad advice can be based on good intentions, but it's still bad advice. And this passage begs the question again, should Paul go to Jerusalem? What is the Holy Spirit really trying to say in the middle of all this? And some people believe Paul is brave for going, and some people believe Paul is an idiot for going. Obviously, the Spirit's trying to get his attention. And Paul is just a man. Paul's letters are inspired by God, and we have them because they're inspired by God. But Paul's a regular guy, capable of messing up, capable of ignoring the Holy Spirit. So was Paul right or wrong in continuing to Jerusalem? Well, I'll show you where I'm going to get my answer from, and it's just from the last chapter. These are Paul's own words in Acts chapter 20, verse 22 and 23. It says this, and now I am bound. I am bound by who? By the Spirit to go to where? I don't know what awaits me, except that the who? The Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Underline in your outlines there or in your Bible, bound by the Spirit. Bound by the Spirit. Paul says, wait, 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 wait. I've heard the Holy Spirit too, and you want to know what the Holy Spirit's telling me? He's telling me to go to Jerusalem, right? I know what I heard from the Spirit. I hear you. The believers in Tyre and the prophet Agabus and and even his own crew are saying, don't go. So which is it? What do you think? How do we know the will of the Lord in these circumstances? Let me ask you a question. How do you know the will of the Lord in your circumstances? When you're faced with a decision, 
When you're faced with a, something that you don't know the answer to, I, lots of times we'll ask God very quickly, Lord, what should I do? We'll say up a quick prayer, Lord, what should I do? And then we'll say, God, show me what to do. And in this particular case, it would feel like God has been saying over and over again, don't go, don't go, don't go, don't go. But Paul on the inside of him since last chapter has had this urging of the spirit that he's supposed to go. And, and we know the will of the Lord is like, it's simple when it comes to stuff. You shouldn't cheat on your spouse. You shouldn't steal something. But what, what if it's a, one of those decisions that you're just, I'm not sure what I should do. Uh, God, I'm, I'm going to go to college. Should I go to a Christian school where I can keep my theology good? Or, or should I go and be a light on a public campus? God, I've got this job and it's secure and safe and, and, and you know, we've got everything we need here, but, but this is a unique opportunity. Maybe you're in it. Should I, should I take this job? Should I get married? God, should I get married? And to this guy? I mean, I don't know, you know. But, but should I get married? Is now the time to get married? Are we ready to have children? By the way, if you're asking if you're ready to have children, you're never ready to have children, just so you know. But is now the time, God? What do we do? And I'm going to tell you that for the Apostle Paul in this particular passage, I think that he was following what the Lord had called him to do. And I believe those other people were motivated by fear. That's what I think was happening here. And the believers in Tyre, and I'll show you scripturally how that's true. The believers in Tyre told him that the Spirit told them to tell him not to go to Jerusalem. However, when you go back to the original languages of the Bible, right? The Bible wasn't written in English. The original language, the word here is used, is not an absolute prohibition. It's not absolutely don't go to Jerusalem. It's actually more like, I think you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. It's not as hard as that. Agabus, if you were paying attention, didn't actually tell him not to go. Agabus just said, by the way, this is what's going to happen. And, and is Agabus right? Agabus is going to be batting a thousand. I'm telling you right now, Agabus is the prophet you want to listen to because that stuff is waiting for him. And Paul is headed back to jail in Jerusalem. And Paul's best friends, I genuinely think they were just motivated by fear too. Fear for their friend, maybe even a little fear for themselves. But let me tell you something about fear. Fear never stops the will of the Lord. Fear never stops the will of the Lord. Next couple of verses, the last two verses here is Acts 21, 13 and 14. It says this, but he said, this is Paul talking, why all this weeping? You are what? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at where? Jerusalem, but even to what? Die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we what? Gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Paul's answer to everyone is, you're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me right now. He says, what in the world are you doing? Why are you, why are you making this so hard? I know what I'm supposed to do. Why are you making, I got to go. I know I got to go. The Spirit has told me I got to go. I'm not, I'm not only ready to be put back in chains, I'm willing to, to die because I know I'm supposed to go. And his friends said, okay, I guess that's it. And they did what? They went to Jerusalem. They got, they got on, their, on the path and started going to Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but too often we buckle under social pressure. 
Too often when we're making a decision, we ask everyone's opinion. What do you think? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think I should do? What do you think? We take a poll. And then, we, and then once we get all the responses of the poll, we go, okay, I think I'm going to do this. And the truth of the matter is, is that we should be listening to the Holy Spirit because fear doesn't make good decisions. If we let our fears or the fears of those around us drive our decisions, you're not going to be happy with the result. And, and the will of the Lord should be driving our decisions, not fear. Not fear. Even if there's suffering coming for us. Even if the circumstances are going to cause pain. We follow the Spirit. We follow the Spirit. Now listen, following the Spirit doesn't always have to lead to suffering. In fact, I would argue, the more you listen to the Holy Spirit, you will watch God and His Spirit rescue you from situations that you were headed into. Sinful stuff or evil stuff. And you'll watch the Spirit of God rescue you from those situations. But sometimes... Following the Spirit involves going headfirst into suffering. And we should not be afraid of that. I came across this quote this week, and I really love it. It's from Oswald Chambers, who wrote My Utmost for His Highest. And I love the way he worded this. He says, to choose to suffer means there is something wrong. There is something wrong with you if you're just choosing to suffer for the sake of suffering. To choose what? God's will, even if it means suffering, is a very different thing. No healthy saint ever chooses suffering. He chooses what? He chooses God's will as Jesus did. Remember Jesus saying, if there's any way you can take this cup from me? Saying, I don't, I don't need to suffer. If, I don't need to suffer, but if I need to suffer, then I'll, I'll take this cup. So as Jesus did, whether it means suffering or not. Which leads me to... So what, Steve? What do I do with this? And the question becomes, ready? What are you afraid of? Oh, my gosh. Has that duck been watching me the whole time? That is really weird. I don't know what to do with that. Here's the question for you. So what? What are you afraid of right now? What are you afraid of right now? What are you facing right now that has you afraid? Is it financial? Maybe a job loss? You're not sure how ends are going to meet. Is it health? You're facing some diagnosis and you're not sure what to do with it. Is it your family or, or maybe just a big decision you're facing and you're not sure how you're supposed to do it? And you're asking God right now, God, what is your will for me? What are you going to do? What am I supposed to do here? And the Holy Spirit maybe has even told you the answer, but you're still afraid. What do you do in that moment? Listen to John chapter 14. It says it this way. But when the Father sends the what? The advocate is my representative. That is the Who? The Holy Spirit, he will what? Teach you everything. And he will remind you of everything. I have told you. I am leaving with you a gift. What is it? Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be what? Or troubled or afraid. And so the follow-up question to what are you afraid of is this. It's where is the Holy Spirit in your fear? Where do you see the Spirit of God? Where do you sense God's Spirit saying to you in the middle of that fear, God, I, I sort of have a sense you're calling me to do this or you're prompting me to do that, but where is the Holy Spirit in that? You know, one of the passages that has comforted Christians for generations and generations is, is the 23rd Psalm. And one of the reasons is the early verses of the 23rd Psalm um, 
really comfort people. In verse 4 it says this, even when I walk through the what? The darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. You're close beside me. Your rod and your staff, what do they do? Protect and comfort me. I read this thing this week about early American Indians. The early American Indians, uh, when the tribes were around uh, North America, they had this unique practice for their uh, training their young men, their young braves as they were coming of age. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, they would take him out. At this point, he's already learned all of his hunting and his scouting and his fishing skills, and he was put to this one final test, and the tribe would uh, take him out. He had never been away from the security of the family or the tribe before this, but on this night, he's blindfolded. He's taken seven, several miles away from there, and they would tell him, keep going that direction, and then take off the blindfold. And it, when he takes off the blindfold, he would find he's in the middle of a really dense thick wooded forest area can't see anything completely dark in that area and all night long this young brave would stand in the forest and you can imagine he can't see anything every time a twig snaps or any sound rustles in a bush nearby he's afraid for his life and he doesn't know what's going to happen and they would leave him there all night long and at daybreak when the light starts to shine in through the forest and that glow starts to become more and more and he can make out that there's bushes and trees and flowers and eventually he looks down and he can see there's a path and the path that leads back to the village is right over here and as he walks to that path and he looks down the path he can see about a hundred yards away his father is standing there with a bow and arrow drawn he's been standing there all night to protect his son you get in the picture Get in the picture of God the Father and the Holy Spirit within you, ready to protect you, ready to guide you, ready to lead you into whatever he is calling you to do. That's how the Holy Spirit is in us. And as long as we're seeking God with our heart and, and he's right there with us, even if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he is standing right there. His rod and his staff are there to protect you. There's no need to fear the future. He's with you. There's no need to fear your decisions. He's with you. There's no need to fear suffering or hardships. He will be with you. And so the question we ask at the end of so what is this? Is God calling you despite your fear? Is there some place God is calling you despite your fear? You know, the definition of courage is not the absence of fear. It's overcoming fear. And God may be shouting at you today that he has a plan for your life and he wants to use you and he's been shouting it for a while and you have even known the answer to that and the Holy Spirit has made that clear but you've been afraid and you haven't done anything about it. Let me ask you this question. Is God calling you to something right now? And have you been ignoring him? And will you answer the call? Will you act on his prompting even if there's fear in you? We answer the call. I had a, <laughs> my, I had a daughter who um, at one point as she was going through her college, uh, she came to me and she said, Dad, I think I may want to go into the ministry. And I said, oh, God, no. Don't do that. You have any idea how hard this is? You have any idea, you know, uh, 
what that is. And, and in that moment, I'm the one operating in the wrong position. If God's calling her into the ministry, who am I to tell her no? Right? And God may be calling you to something like that too. Some of you maybe you hear about a trip like living water to Guatemala and you think, oh no, not for me. I could never go. I'm afraid. I don't know. And God may be prompting you and stirring up in you to take that step of faith. And it's because God knows you and he has a plan for you. In fact, the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, it says this. For we are God's what? Masterpiece. He has created us how? Anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the what? The good things that he planned for us when? God has a plan and his Holy Spirit will prompt and our fear gets in the way and sometimes even the advice of well-meaning people will get in the way. But he's got something that he wants you to do. Will you listen to the Holy Spirit and pursue it anyway? Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this um, passage, God, and how we see fear used. Um, But God, we know that your spirit is stronger than the fear and that fear never derails your plans, God. Father, I pray for my friends who are gathered here today as we're listening to your word and looking at it together, God. There are some that you have literally been tapping on their shoulder. You have been welling up inside of them a call on their life or on their heart, something that you have asked them to do, God, and their fear has been holding them back. God, I pray that you would eradicate the fear from their lives, that they would have the boldness to move forward regardless of the fear involved because they know your Holy Spirit is prompting them, Father. May we step into the roles and the places that you have called us to so that we might make a difference in a lost and broken and dark and hurting world. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.